Hey everyone, I'm Sierra Combs and I'm the Women's Director here at the River Church. Thanks for checking out one of our messages today. We would love to get connected with you and your family. One easy way to do that is to text River Connect one word, to 97,000, or you can visit our website at theriverchurch.cc to learn more about us and our upcoming events. If you'd like to give to the River Church today, you can text the amount you want to give to 84321, or you can visit our website and click the Give tab at the top of the page. Thanks again for joining us, and we hope that you enjoyed the message today. If you have a Bible, we'll be in Matthew chapter number 5. Matthew chapter number 5, we are, um, last week I introduced to you as really the rest of chapter number 5, I believe Jesus presents this theme now, this point. He, he points us to really this section where Jesus is calling the people who are listening. He's calling the people that are sitting down on the mountain with them. And I, I believe he's calling us to, to listen to this, to see if we need to have a new way of thinking. Jesus looks to them and says, the way you're thinking, I, I'm calling you to think differently. I want you to think differently about who I am, Jesus says. I want you to think differently about the Bible and God's word. He says about who I am, he says, Jesus says this. He says, the word, I have come not to abolish the word. I've come to fulfill it. Jesus says about the Bible, he says it's true. He says, no little thing that the Bible says will come true. Everything will come true. And at the end of kind of this intro, he says, and you who think the Pharisees and the scribes, they are the ones who represent righteousness. They're not. And so now Jesus goes on from there and presents six really, I would say, probably well-known or well-heard-of laws that the Jewish people had heard growing up. And Jesus says over and over again, you have heard it said. And then Jesus says, but I, but I say to you. See, what has happened is, and what Jesus is doing, what's happened to us, Jesus is saying, you have misinterpreted what the law of God means. You are using it, the way you're using it is wrong. And to illustrate this, because I always love a visual illustration, Pat, he's got my help. I couldn't help but think, I enjoy, I've heard me this before, I enjoy going to the gym. And out there, there are these really funny videos online of people who go to the gym who use the equipment in a wrong way. There's just people that, that go to the gym and so they get on the equipment and they're, and they're doing it wrong. This is just, you know, this is just a simple bench. But there's a way that this has been designed to help. There's a way that this has been designed to help you get stronger. And you've seen people in the gym, they'll use equipment in the wrong way. I think about the only way, I, I didn't want to like really make something loud, but like if you're like, okay, this is what this is for finger push ups, right? Like that. No, that's not what this is for. You're using that in the wrong. Now, there are some really funny ones out there. And what happens is you watch people use the equipment in the wrong way. And what is happening is they're hurting themselves, they're not helping themselves. They are putting themselves in danger. The way they're, you're like, oh no, you're going to get hurt. What are you doing? You're going to get hurt. And here Jesus is saying, the truth about what God says, it's been used in the wrong way. 
the way that God, the truth that God gives, it's to help you. And I know sometimes when the law, it, it, it's helping you, and it hurts sometimes when the law speaks into our lives, when the truth speaks into our life. It hurts, but the goal is to make us stronger. But what was happening is the religious people were saying, well, because we don't want to feel that hurt, we want to use the law how we want. We, we're going to use it this way. And they were hurting themselves instead of helping themselves. So this morning, we're going to study the first one, the, the first law that Jesus speaks of, that they had missed the purpose of the law. They had missed the purpose of God's truth. And in Matthew chapter 5, verse 21, the Bible says this. It says, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults, or the word raka you'll see, his brother will be liable to counsel. And whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. So if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there you remember your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are going with him to the court lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard and you be put in prison. And truly I say to you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. So here in this passage, what is Jesus doing? Well, go back to the verses before. He's saying, I want you to rethink this. You think the Pharisees live righteously. You know, the Pharisees, they come and they tell you, you shall not murder. And you look at them and go, well, they don't do that. They don't do that. So they're good. But he's saying, I want you to think differently. How you're thinking. I want you to see what this is supposed to mean. And so what I did is just simply to help me see this is to put it in three simple parts. The first verse is the action of murder. The action of murder. Jesus says, you've heard it said. It's kind of interesting. Why did he say you've heard it said? And as I studied, it's, scholars think that most of the people didn't know how to read the Bible. Bible written in Hebrews, they, they didn't know how to read Hebrews. And so all they knew was just what people would say to them. So they'd say, you, you've heard it said of old. You've heard it said, you shall not murder. Now, now that's correct. You shall not murder. Again, Jesus didn't come to abolish. He doesn't throw this away. Jesus says, you've heard. You shall not murder. Now, I want us to understand what the word murder means in the context of the Old Testament. That's important to understand. What does the word murder mean? In our growth community this past week, we were just sitting and somehow we started talking about groups of animals. You know, they all have different names. Like each group, there's the, I don't know, again, I don't know all these, the flock of geese and there's, the, you know, like there's the, all the, all of them had weird names. And somehow we got to crows. You know what a group of crows is called? A murder. So I was driving the next day and I almost texted everybody. I was like, I just saw a murder. Bunch of crows. Right? Bad definition, right? We don't want to be confused by the definition. What does it mean by murder? Well, Proverbs 6.16 says, There are six things the Lord hates. 
Seven that are abomination to him. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood. Here, the Bible, right? Murder isn't wrong because man came up with it. Murder is wrong because God sets the rules. God sets what's right and wrong. And God says there is value to man and to woman. There is value. Now, now know that when, when here in the Hebrew word, when we study the Hebrew word of murder, you, you see it to kill. You see this. I was reading, and one scholar said there's seven different words in the Hebrew language that point to kill. This word here points to the word murder. It, it points to premeditation and to being deliberate. What this isn't pointing to, as we read through the Old Testament, we see this clearly. This is not talking, it's not applying to animals, right? God, God talks about animals, they're, they're for this. It's not implying that. Now, I'm not implying that you abuse animals. The Bible speaks against that to Proverbs 12, 10. Like, I'm not, not saying that. But hear the word murder. This is not what it's talking about. We don't have to get into animals. We could start talking about how our culture has idols of the animals, but that's a different sermon. Anyways, this is not talking about defending one's home, right? Exodus 22 talks about this. This is not talking about accidental killing. This isn't pointing to the death penalty that the Bible talks about. This isn't talking to, you know, involvement in one nation in certain types of war. This is not what this is pointing to. By studying the Old Testament, you see this word murder. What is it talking about? It is just like Proverbs 6. It is the hands that shed innocent blood. It is pointing to what Genesis 1, and 27 says. That man and woman have been created by God. You guys got that verse in Genesis 1? I can, I can flip to it here. Because it's page 1. This is pretty easy. Oh, it's page two. All right. The Bible says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heaven, and over the livestock, and over all of earth, and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created him. That is a reason that we, we have spoke up today about Prop 3, because we believe the value of mankind is so important. Here, God says, you've heard it said. It's said in Exodus chapter 20 and Deuteronomy chapter 5, all through the Old Testament. It speaks of this thing, thou shall not murder. But it's interesting, Jesus says, thou shall not, you've heard it said, thou shall not murder. And whoever murders will be liable to judgment. So it's like liable to judgment. What does that mean? So many people think when it's speaking of judgment here, it's not talking about the judgment of God. It's talking about the judgment of, of just the circuit court. So it seems to me that he is saying, you've heard it said, thou shall not murder, because if you do, you could be put in the hands of the court, and then you could, you could receive a penalty. And you don't want to receive a penalty, so you don't want to do this. One says Jesus cites to the current a uh, popular interpretation or traditional practice of the Old Testament passage, he is quoted. 
But he is not, he is not repealing the law. He's fulfilling the law. Here, Jesus, as he points to the law, he's saying, you know, you said, you've heard it said, don't kill, because if you do, you, you could face the circuit court. You, you, you could receive this penalty, and you don't want to receive this penalty. You know, you've heard that. And then Jesus says, but I say to you. See, what has happened is the law had become mechanical. The law had been this thing like, I, give me my checklist. I haven't done that. I'm good. Haven't done that one. Good. Haven't done that one. Good. And I'm okay. But what happens when we, and I know you can go, well, they made the law mechanical. They shouldn't do that. We never do anything like that. Reminds me if you have a child and you say, son, daughter, listen, your iPad, I want it staying out here in the living room. Do not, do not play with the iPad in your bedroom. Ten minutes later you go and they're in their bedroom playing on the iPad. And you say, hey, didn't I just tell you? And they're like, I'm not in my bedroom. I'm in my closet. I'm in my closet. I'm not in my bedroom. I'm in my closet. I am good. You said no bedroom. I'm in the closet, not the bedroom. I'm good. And we laugh at children, but how often do we treat God that way? How often do we look at the love of God and what he says? And here's what Jesus is saying. You play the law. So here's how we do it. As a youth pastor for many years, I would have good, godly kids come to me and go, Pastor, I'm in this relationship. How far is too far? this too far? Is this too far? How about this? Is this too far? How far is too far? What have we done? We start to make the law mechanical. We start to go, well, as long as I don't cross that line, I'm fine. And then when I say, but if you're thinking about this and dwelling on it and you're having those things in your mind, well, you're, you're sinning already. And I know some of you may throw the flag and go, Pastor, I know I've read ahead in, 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 in Matthew 5. Next week is the sermon on lust. Okay, fine. I'll save it for next week. Do that, that illustration next week. We ask the question, how many beers can I have before I have to stop? How much money do I have to give to the Lord before I satisfy him? We make things mechanical, just like they did. And you may say, well, so is Jesus, like, is Jesus transforming the law? Well, I I would say to you, the law was never mechanical. The law was never like, not the checklist. In the Old Testament, in Chronicles 28, it says, you, Solomon, my son, David says, know the God of your father and serve him with a what? A whole heart and with a willing mind. For the Lord searches all hearts and understands every plan and thought. And if you seek him, you will be found by him. But if you forsake him, he will cast you off forever. Proverbs 16, 2, all the ways of man are pure in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the spirit. Jeremiah 17, 10, I, the Lord, search the heart and test the mind to give every man according to his ways. This isn't new. Jesus is saying it wasn't mechanical. It is all about the heart. One said conformity to the law must not be 
thought of in terms of actions only. Thoughts and motives, desires are equally important. Here the Lord says it's not about a checklist. How many times did I go to church? How many did I read my Bible this morning? I read my devotion. I'm good. I did this. It's so much more than that. And here we get to verse 22. He says, but I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. There's that word judgment again. But then it says, whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council, and whoever says you're a fool will be liable to the hell of fire. See, that first verse is the action of murder, and then Jesus says, I say to you, and he speaks of the attitude of murder. He says, if you are angry with your brother, you're a murderer. And you may look and go, well, pastor, what? I don't see that in here. Well, let 1 John 3.15 back that up. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. It speaks heavily on this thing of anger, to have hate, to, to feel bitter, to have unpleasant, unkind feelings of resentment toward a person without cause. Here, God says, you want to know what murder is? Look at your heart. And I know someone's out there going, wait a minute, Pastor, throwing another flag this morning. I know I got lots of flags today, right? Throwing a flag. The Bible says we can get angry. <gasps> Pastor, there's, I know verse. The Bible says God got angry. So, so it's okay to get angry. And you, Ephesians 4 says be angry and do not sin. Correct. So what is it saying here? think MacArthur says it so well. Anger that is selfish, undisciplined, vindictive, is sinful, and has no place even temporarily in the Christian life. Anger that is unselfish and is based on love for God and others is not only permissible, it's commanded. But Caution, warning, driving down Evans 75 and you see all the brake lights and a, you know, the, the emergency car drives by, I, I want to give you caution to slow down. See, Ephesians says, be angry, do not sin, do not let the sun go down on your anger and do not give the devil an opportunity. Here, I believe, it says, be angry, have righteous anger. But oh, how anger can go bad so quick. Oh, how you leave the milk out so quick the smell comes and it tastes so bad. Here the Bible said, yeah, there is righteous anger, but don't let the sun go down on your anger. Why? Because anger can sour just like that. And we can justify righteous anger, but we harbor that. What do we do? Do not give the devil an opportunity. 2 Corinthians 2:11. So we would so that we would not want so that we would not be outwitted by Satan. Some of you in your anger, you say it's I have just anger. And what has happened, your anger, your just 
anger has soured. And now because you've let, you haven't dealt with it, it's become selfish and vindictive. It's, it's turned. You've let that anger and you've given opportunity to the devil. So Romans 12 speaks of this anger, right? Romans 12, verse 17. says, Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourself, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine and I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will keep burning coals on his head. And do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. So the Bible clearly says, unrighteous anger. We have to call it out. Unrighteous anger is not okay. It's not okay. to. We have to call it out and repent of it. When it is selfish and vengeful, when we're undisciplined. Righteous anger. Be careful. You keep watching that news and go, oh man, oh man, what happens? Your righteous anger against sin now becomes vengeance against people. How do I know? I see your Facebook. Anger. Yes. The Lord God, right? We see him, we've seen that anger. We see the Bible, right? He is angry against sin. But 1 Peter 2.23, Jesus, what does it say? When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continually continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. One said he was angry at sin and injustice, and yes, he flipped over tables, and yes, he called out the Pharisees, but he never became angry at personal insults. One said Jesus is not talking about Jesus is not talking about anger over God being dishonored, but rather selfish anger against a brother. This is what he's calling out. Hebrews twelve says, Strive for peace with everyone, for the for the holiness without which one will see the Lord. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble. Here Jesus, I believe, goes on to describe it. You want to know if you have wrong anger? Your mouth mouth will prove it. So Jesus Jesus says this, If you are angry with your brother, you will be liable of judgment. And then it says, so whoever insults his brother will be liable of the council. It says, if you insult, and, and the KJV just, it doesn't um, translate the word, it just gives you the word raka. So if you insult someone, the word raka means basically you're calling somebody empty-headed, brainless idiot, worthless, an empty, a fool. 
I looked at a current translation. It's just, uh, I think the best translation is a cotton-headed ninny-muggins is what the word means, all right? Man, I didn't think that would go over here, but it did. I made it, all right. I was like, I don't know if I can share that joke here. It says, your anger is leading you. What are you doing? You're looking at a soul, someone created by God, and you call them worthless. They're created in my image, male and female. And what we do in our anger, we look at people and say, no, God, they're worthless. But I didn't murder anybody. Jesus calls us to think properly. He calls out this anger. He says, you want to call them a fool? This is even harsher. The word here is M-O-R-O-S. We get the word moron from it. It's basically consistently saying someone consistently acts like an idiot. Proverbs 143, they make their tongue sharp as serpents and under their lips is venom. Church, if we know the Lord as our Savior, we need to be careful that we don't walk around in some spiritual superiority like, look at me, don't murder somebody. Yet God says, look at your heart. Look what you're doing. Look how fast you are to gossip. Look how fast you are to talk about your brother. Look how fast you are to talk about that lady in church. I mean, it's just you hit the lobby and there it goes. And God says, you know, Jesus says to those who are listening, you look at the the Pharisees and the scribes and you think that they're righteous, but I know their heart. They are angry and they are bitter. God calls us to more. Are we full of hostility that causes us to verbally, to verbally and silently murmur and to call people worthless? See, what a mechanical law does is it puts up a wall to say, I'm all good. I'm good. And Jesus says, I want to break down the wall. Let's look at your heart. Where is it at? Where is your heart? In Luke chapter 18, and we've talked about the story a lot lately, but the, the, the story of the, the rich young ruler, and he comes to Jesus, right? He says, am I in? Am I in? Jesus, what does he do? He points to the law. That law, that law, and he goes, oh, I got them all checked. I got, I I followed the law. I got it. And Jesus says, hey, here's what I want you to do. Then go sell everything you got and follow me. What happened? He broke down the wrong way that he used the law. He broke it down to go, hey, I'm not talking about checking the boxes. I'm not talking about a spiritual superiority. I'm saying, hey, I see your heart. And you say, I do this, I do this. But your heart is far from me. What I want you to do, 
take what you have. I see what your idol is. I see what you love. I see your fear. I see your anger. You hand that over. You trust me. And he went, well, I, I don't really. I don't, I don't really. Jesus exposes our heart. It brings us back to him and needing him. The law, right? Romans 13, verse 8, really explains this. It says, Owe no one anything except to love each other. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. I think we look at our neighbor and go, I haven't stole from them. Fulfill the law. I'm good. I don't lie to them. Fulfill the law. I'm good. What Jesus is saying, listen, fulfill the law by loving them. You didn't steal from them, but have you given them the word of God? You didn't lie to them, but have you given them the truth? Have we... Do we love how we're called to love? Here, Jesus, right? He isn't abolishing the law. He's saying, look, this is what the law does. It points out our heart, the need for a Savior, and that the Savior can transform our heart to be like him. And that leads us to verse 23 through 26. There's the action of murder. There's the attitude of murder. And then Jesus gives the application here. It says, so if you are offering your gift at the altar, there you remember that your brother has something against you. Leave your gift, therefore, before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Here Jesus gives the application He says, hey, if you've done wrong to your brother, I know you're here at the ceremony. Like he's talking about the ceremonial laws that they had come to the temple and they were offering their sacrifice to the Lord. But Jesus is like, if you have done something wrong to your brother, get up, leave, go find him right now. Go repent, go apologize, go the best of your ability, make peace. And then come back. Again, one said to leave problems unreconciled is to allow the sin to continue to destroy the relationships between you and your fellow brother. And 1 Samuel says it like this, has the Lord as great delight in birth offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord. Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice. Jeremiah 7, 9 says, Will you steal, murder, commit adultery, swear falsely, make offerings to Baal, and go after other gods that you have known, and then come and stand before me in this house, which is called by my name, and say, We are delivered. Only to go on doing all these abominations. And if that's not a call out to the church that we come together and we sing whatever hymn we've sung. And if our heart is so angry and bitter. Here Jesus gives us the 
application. He says this poison will hurt you. If you've offended someone, you've wronged someone, go take care of it. And I loved, as I was studying, one man said, if if you feel like your relationship with the Lord is dry and stale and, and, and you're struggling with it, maybe when you pray, right? The Lord says, if there's sin standing between us and the Lord, it affects our prayer life. It affects our relationship with him. In 1 Peter, it talks about men. It says if you are, are doing wrong against your wife, it is going to affect your prayer life. So maybe you're having that struggle. Maybe there, you, you need to have a repentance. And part of that repentance is to repent to your family, your daughter, your, your husband, your mom, your neighbor. To go to them first. In verse 25, it says, come to terms quickly with your accuser while you're going with him to court. It's this picture of someone who's taking you to court because you've stolen from them. Here is a beautiful picture that says, hey, if you've done wrong, before you get to the courtroom, catch up to them. Go deal with it now before it gets there. Go speedily try to make a friendship. I believe it's what the Lord calls us to do. Before he takes you to court and you're found guilty and the court deals with you. Here, the Lord shows us how to think. And man, is it convicting. You know, back up in verse 22, it's so interesting. It talks about the courts. It says, it talks about anger If you're angry with your brother, you'll be liable to judgment. It's kind of interesting. You look at that. I think it still points to that circuit. Like, yep, there's going to be judgment. But it says if you bring insults, then you'll be liable to, really, this is pointing to the council. It means like the supreme court. And it says if you call somebody a fool, you'll be liable to the hell of fire. What I believe this is doing is that the Pharisees only cared about getting caught. It never really came back to the conviction of God on their life. And here he's saying it is a heart thing. It's not about getting caught and having to pay the the fine. It's about having a loving relationship with God and knowing his love for you. And having a heart that wants to love the Lord and follow the Lord. Now, as I close, I I so want you to know, as we've been studying this, this isn't a sermon about making sure our goods outweigh our bad so we can have a relationship with God. Again, as we've covered this over and over again, Jesus starts out the Sermon on the Mount and says, blessed are the poor in spirit, it is pointing to those of us who know Christ, who have come to a place to know when the truth of God is shined on my heart, it reveals that I'm unrighteous. And when God's true light shines on me, 
I realize I fall short of the glory of God and need a Savior. And it brings me to Jesus. It brings me to the righteousness that Christ offers on the cross that he paid. And because of Christ and the forgiveness of sin, he calls me to a new way of living. See, the law points out the sin that I have and the short, how I fall short. And Jesus is the righteous one that has come and he died on the cross and rose again and says, if you will confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus Christ and believe that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. It's not about the goods outweighing the bads. It's knowing that we are poor in spirit and need a savior. It's coming to the savior and asking him to save us and to give us Right, the strength, the spirit to walk in his ways. He calls this, he calls us to this new way of living. It is beautiful here what Jesus says. Will you stand with me, please? Lord Jesus, I uh, pray this morning. Lord, as you challenge us, as you convict us. Lord God, may we love you and know your love. Thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen.